0: Welcome back to Got Tech The Podcast. This is episode 33 called How to Implement Passion Projects into Your Classroom. In this episode, Guys and I welcome Andy Paul onto the show as we dive deep into passion projects and their implementation in your classroom. We'll also review our top seven reasons for incorporating passion projects and close the show by putting Andy on the Got Tech Hot seat. Check it out.
1: we're back for another episode episode 33 how does that make you feel
0: i feel really good about number 33 and i'm extra excited because for the first time in a while we have a guest with us again today
1: who is our guest that's what i want to know every every time we bring somebody on it's like a a curveball that we throw at people because we bounce around Certain topics a lot, but I think today is extra special. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about our passion projects with none other than our own Andrew Paul. And a little bit about Andrew. He is known for his passion projects. He brings things to uh, our school that other teachers are afraid to try. And today we want to try to break down these barriers, break down these walls. So, Andrew, thanks for coming on the show with us today. Well, thanks for having me. So, tell us a little bit about you and your education journey, and what brought you to teaching?
2: Well, uh, you know, it's funny. This is about passion projects because I think what brought me to teaching was my passion projects. And then I was like, well, I could keep following them if I teach so i went to school for english and my plan beyond that was i didn't have one i figured i'd just keep reading stuff and then something would happen um and i was working on a graduate degree in english and somebody's like well you know you can get a teaching license pretty easy if you have a master's degree you do a couple courses and this and that and that and um so I started doing that training. I was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, that journey led here to, you know, Hopewell Valley Central High School. And uh, and I, I like to think that, you know, my passion for the literature is part of what kind of hooks kids. Because that's, that's a hard thing when you kind of, you give them a book like The Odyssey. They're in ninth grade and they get this poem from 3,000 years ago. And they're like, Whoa, we're going to read this thing, you know. And having that passion is... I. I think a big part of how you engage kids with this material.
1: So you're talking a lot about books and this is one of the biggest things out there. And a lot of times I hear it with math, but sometimes I hear it with English. Is there any room for educational technology in the English classroom?
2: Definitely. Yeah. You know, and, um, I think probably English teachers have a bad reputation for like, you know, we we don't just want books, but they got to smell like they're really old. The older smelling, the better. <laughs> but, uh, but there's definitely room, you know, for ed tech all, all throughout English. Um, but I think definitely, especially in English, you got to be judicious about how you use it because the experience of reading you know it's kind of this almost like sacred experience you know you it's just you in this book and you kind of you know you it's almost a transcendent thing you're, you're going to a, another place other than where you are and, and sometimes technology can facilitate that but other times it can kind of just gum up the works
1: i really like the way that you put that i know nick and i we talk about this all the time when to use ed tech in the classroom and we're all about using it when it enhances a lesson uh it doesn't it, I mean, every once in a while, maybe a substitution of a piece of ed tech is okay. But for the most part, we want to incorporate educational technology that is there to enhance a lesson. So I, I love the fact that you're saying that you have to be very particular about when you use ed tech.
0: Yeah, that's something we always kind of kind of push, like you said, guys, and like Andy, kind of you uh, alluded to as well. It's got to be something that builds on it. And I like uh, just reading. I'm not a huge reader, but I the books that I have read and that I do read, I try read one or two new ones a year there is something special about sitting down with that that hard copy you can smell it it's just part of like the larger experience and and I'm sure you can replicate that in certain ways with tech but not always so that's important to mention kind of goes with something we talk about all the time Um, I do want to move into though kind of the focus of today sort of sort of the reason you're here which is this thing known as a passion project and that's a really broad term I'm going to sort of tell you what I think it is and then maybe you can explain if I'm right or from where I'm wrong and how that fits in with how you use passion projects in your class. So my understanding now of a passion project, now this is a student project, so it's something that the kids in your class will do. But to me, it sort of just sounds like the most open-ended form of a project where they, within your boundaries and some sort of structure that you set as the teacher, but you give the students the freedom to research, investigate, prepare, present, and learn about something that really they are in complete control of and that they choose. And, and there's the word Passion—that something that they are passionate about—and then that is that is the class project, and within that, that's where the learning takes place. So, how close am I? How does that fit in with passion projects that you're incorporating in your classroom? Uh,
2: you know, that that sounds pretty close to the the approach that I take. You know, the thing, um, you know, the thing with English, especially, you know, so I teach mostly ninth and tenth graders, and and what we're doing primarily is, you know, we're we're learning to write and we're learning to research, and the content of that writing and research is is not really I don't want to say it's insignificant, but I mean, it could be anything, sure. you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't make a lot of sense always to be researching, you know, uh, F Scott Fitzgerald or, you know, Emily Dickinson, because there's, there's a whole, you know, breadth of, of research fields, um, So, you know, what I felt pretty strongly from my own experience in school was that, you know, when I was engaged in stuff that I really cared about, I would go the extra mile. And, you know, we've probably all seen those studies that talk about how, you know, after a while, like you can pay people more in their jobs and it doesn't really improve their productivity. It's it's having you know the ability to do projects they really care about that that drives them to do greater and greater things so um you know there are some passion project models like uh, I, I know you guys have talked about genius hour on some of your other uh, episodes and then that happens to be the kind of framework i use for this passion project approach but um but the idea with that is that you know um you allow students to follow the the path you know a topic they're really interested in and that will they'll take them an extra mile and they'll they'll do that research that normally they would say well you know I don't really care about F. Fitzgerald. I'm not going to research too deeply into his life, but I do care about whatever it is, skateboarding, you know, or online video gaming. And I think the big realization for me was that that point about, you know, a lot of what we're doing in the English classroom is teaching them to read and write and, and what they're reading and what they're writing isn't always the most important thing. It's the the method. And so the, the passion project approach really works pretty well for that. I've gotten some cool, really cool projects. And what I'm always impressed with is just the sort of the breadth of the projects. Like students will come in with topics where I'm just, I'm like, wow, I mean, I can't, I can't believe that turned into this kind of research project that that, that I got, um, you know, one that stands out to me a lot is I had a student a couple of years ago who wanted to do origami, and, oh, cool. and I was kind of like, well, you know, origami, that's, that's uh, you know, you mean like fold, you make little cranes and stuff, and I, I appreciate that, but I kind of didn't really think anything of it other than it's folded paper. right? And, uh, you know, and it's the framework of this passion project that I use is that, you know, it's gotta have a strong research component with research questions that you're trying to answer that you don't already know the answers to. And he said, well, you know, my impression is that origami has therapeutic qualities. My impression is that it has scientific, uh, like engineering applications. And I was like, well, that's that sounds you know pretty academic let's go for it and so he comes in and he does a whole thing about the therapeutic quality of origami and we did origami together and we we did uh surveys about like, our stress level at the beginning of class and the end of class and the data was already pretty significant you know, after like 20 minutes of origami and he took us through how you know nasa is sending satellites into space with like solar arrays that are folded into origami patterns and they unfold based on the same principles and i was like this thing this this really works it's pretty cool that's
0: that's <clears throat> that's really 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 cool. So many interesting things come out of that. One thing I want to go back to before we get too uh, too much further into it is you mentioned that uh, the idea of a genius hour, which we have talked about before, the or the origami example was that in the in the in the context of a genius hour is that where that particular project was developed? It was yes. Can you walk through like maybe if somebody hasn't heard of a genius hour, like how does how does it work? What's the time frame? I see the word hour in there. What does the the one hour time span have to do with it? And how does like the project building happen for 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 something like that origami project?
2: Well, so my understanding is like you know, the origin the of Genius Hour, a couple companies, you know, like um, 3M and Google, they had tried this approach where basically they'd say, you know, you could take your Friday afternoon or something like that and kind of work on your passion project. And that was adapted to schools to say, like, why don't we take one hour a week, one class meeting a week and, and devote that. So, you know, in a five day week, we'll spend four days reading Emily Dickinson and F. Scott Fitzgerald and, and day five, we're going to work on your passion project. Now it happens, as you guys both know, that our schedule here is kind of hard to explain to people who aren't in our building and carving out that genius hour. A lot of times it ends up being in big chunks. So it's not an hour, it's, you know, four hours in one week and so on. But, but the principle is that we can kind of dip in and out of it, but hopefully on a pretty consistent level, you know, that kids will know that like, every week or every two weeks, I'm going to have a little time to work on this thing. And I think the idea is that they see that as like kind of this, this respite from the normal work of what you, you know, what we do in the classroom is that, you know, here's my time to go kind of do something productive for the good of the group. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where the name comes from and and the general format. And, you know, as I was saying, then the next steps are, um, you know, the students develop research questions, you know, based on a topic they're particularly interested in. And, you know, I really encourage kids to take something that's like, you know, what's the thing that you really love? You know, if you could be doing anything right now, what would that be? And that's that's gonna be your topic and we'll figure out what the research questions are, but start with the passion, you know, cause um, it's really hard to figure out research questions about something you just don't really care about or, right. or just that's unfamiliar to you. If you're passionate about a topic, you know the ins and outs of it. And then the real challenge, I. I think, and where a lot of the learning occurs is where they then say, all right, I am really interested in this thing that's maybe a little bit eclectic or a little bit unfamiliar to most people. How am I going to find something about this that everybody can relate to? You know, so my student with the origami example, you know, I I, th- I think a lot of other kids in class were kind of like, okay, origami, you know, it's a, I'm not really into that. It's not something I would do. And they were kind of ready to write the whole thing off. And, and a, an important part of the structure in, in my class is that you've got to take your passion project and make it applicable to a wide audience. What's an insight you can take from this project? And, you know, for this student, one of the big insights is, you know, kind of handcrafted sort of activities that make us slow down they tend to be pretty therapeutic things which you know as an english teacher where i'm telling students all the time spend time reading go slowly don't have music on in the background necessarily don't have the tv on in the background that was a message i was like oh guys yeah listen to this one um so it kind of reinforced what we were already doing that was it was really cool
1: that's that's very cool and and I love passion projects because I was a student that could have used that little extra motivation. If I was able to dip into my interests into the school day, I think I would have liked certain classes a lot better. But how do we get this message across to teachers that there is time in the school year, in the school day to do this? I mean, is it a tough sell to parents? How do the parents take it? You know, these types of things, I think these are the boundaries that we need to overcome to make passion projects widely accepted. Because I know a lot of people say, oh, students are only going to, you know, they're going to wait till the last minute. They're going to fool off in class, you know, four out of the five times that they do this passion project. But then they're just going to rush to put something together at the end. So how do you as a teacher implement this and one feel great about your timeline meeting your curriculum you know needs but also two how do you get them to stay true to this passion project and not waste time it's
2: a great question and you know i think i understand the fear of a lot of teachers you know trying to engage with this model because of all the things you just said um you know how do you evaluate it? How do you make sure that students just don't throw something together the last couple of minutes? But you know my my kind of retort to that would be that you know we, we face those same challenges all the time. Anytime we do a long-term project with kids, we're always asking you know how can we make sure that they're making meaningful progress every day? You know anytime we devote class time to working on a project, how can I guarantee at the end of this small chunk of time that that it this was meaningful and I haven't wasted this contact time. So, you know, the, the difficulty I think with something like Genius Hours is not that those those teaching methods don't exist because we, we use them all the time, but it's building. It's like a lot of long-term projects. The work is a lot of upfront work. It's like creating a, a, a structure. So, my Genius Hour approach, for instance, like I, I take about eight class sessions for, for students to work through one passion project. And usually at the end of those eight sessions, they've they've developed a topic, they've researched it, they've prepared a, a TED-style talk, and then they deliver the talk at the end of the eighth session. So that's about eight hours of time. And, you know, at the end of each of those hours, then there's like, okay, at the end of hour one, you've got a, a topic and a sense of how it might relate to a broader audience. In session two, you've got a proposal with not just a topic, but a Research questions and some ideas about where you might look for information
1: um, so you have milestones basically checkpoints almost where they have to complete see I was thinking that there would have to be some type of formative assessment tied into this and I guess that could be it maybe it's a reflection maybe they're keeping a journal you know those types of things just so the teacher knows how to get there and I think Google Docs and these sharing platforms like Google Docs can keep that communication open to make sure that everyone's on task. And I think that's awesome. So I don't know. For me personally, I think as a teacher, the genius hour really goes beyond the nuts and bolts of the curriculum. It's a lot more than the content. We're teaching other skills here. And I kind of want to segment this into our next segment. We came up collectively, all three of us, came up with the top seven reasons to incorporate passion projects. And and what we're going to do is we're going to go over these seven things. And I think these are all pretty significant when you think about it. And, uh... Will kind of provide some depth to each one of them. So I'll, I'll take the first one, and I, I just feel that students are able to take ownership of learning. So this is our whole student-centered, personalized learning approach that Nick and I have been talking about for like the last four or five episodes. And I think that the Genius Hour really brings out the best qualities in all of those.
0: Yeah, it's like it's it's kind of like the most student-centered you could be, because like you said, Andy, you kind of prompt them with literally picking the thing that they love the most so I don't know I don't really know how you get much more student-centered than that and going along with that another one of the reasons we came up with for this um, is how it sparks you know the interest and curiosity of these students these people that like anyone else they they are curious about things and they have interests and a lot of the times especially for us at the high school level they're just so trained that school is this place you go where you learn about stuff it largely most of it you don't really care about but it, to kind of tie this in, it, it taps into that that interest and that curiosity, which is uh, super powerful and should be one of the tools that we try to use uh, really often in our classrooms. And I think it's really great for that.
1: Yeah, I, I think something that goes with that interest and sparks curiosity is the creativity piece. Right. And Andy, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that your kids, that origami project seems like he took something that is pretty plain Jane and made a very creative spin off of it. So I think creativity has to be in with that.
2: Absolutely. You know, my, my favorite part of the whole thing, and I've got a lot of favorites, but my absolute favorite part is, you know, so the, the, the Ted, yeah. So it results in this Ted style talk and, you know, students in English class, especially give talks all the time, you know, so there's a lot of public speaking. So, you know, wh- how I try to make this a little bit different is that, uh, you know, I, a mandate that there needs to be an interactive element. And a lot of times students will say, you know, all right, you know, the interactive element is uh, how many people have heard about this topic or, you know, how many people such, 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 which is fine. It meets the requirement. Um, but you definitely find that, you know, because it's a passion project that it, it sparks this creativity and students come up with ways. I mean, the origami example, to, to go back to it again, you know, the student had us all do origami and we, we took these sort of um, self-assessments about, you know, how we're feeling and all this sort of stuff, uh, both before and after. But then then he, um, he combined all the pieces of the origami to make this giant origami shape. I, I still have it in my classroom. And he talked about that in the scientific context. So it united sort of the two strands of his presentation. And I just remember thinking like, this is like, I couldn't, I couldn't teach someone how to do this. You know, if I spent months on it, I, I couldn't kind of come up with this great idea. Um, I think what we can do is though we could say find this thing you're interested in, here's a framework, and then let's see where it goes. And and now that I've had some of these experiences with students doing that, I can share that with other students and say, all right, you know, you could try this, you could try that, you could try something else.
1: Over the, the past couple of years, I've been kind of collecting quotes, but I need to do a better job at knowing where they came from, knowing what piece. And I don't know the exact quote, but it's something like, it was was a political cartoon type drawing, and it was with a student and a teacher, and the teacher gave the student a bad grade and said, you earned this. And the student said something like, why keep telling me to think outside of the box when your rubric makes me stay inside of the box and I don't know why but it, it kind of sounds like yours is set up for creativity and out of the box thinking so I I, I commend you on that oh, thank you. I, I I think that's awesome and I think we need to we need to do a better job as teachers to find ways to give students these freedoms but also motivate them to take advantage of these freedoms and not take advantage of the time by wasting it on something else.
0: I'll, I'll jump in only because as you were talking, it made me think of kind of two two others uh, on our list that we came up with that caught my eye, which was uh, one, just simply teaching students how to research, which we spend a lot of time doing in a lot of different subjects. But again, if they're doing it all in this context of something that they're really interested in, I think it just becomes more powerful and they, they might actually remember some of those things or be able to use those things in, in the future. And really the, the biggest one that it sounds like to me is you were describing uh, how broad the the that one particular origami project became is the aspect of just teaching uh, life skills, because really, that's the kind of thinking that a lot of people in their job, in their li- in their lives, as adults, have to engage in it's you're not just you know solving math problems or you're not just writing an essay but there's a purpose for that writing that that writing is happening in a larger context that you have to share with maybe a board to get paid for so it really matters and you've got to think about these connections to larger things there's a reason we're teaching you how to write here so you can do it later in life uh, so you can present things well later in life that's why we make you practice presentations and it seems like if uh, you know maybe if the students get to investigate something they're interested in they sort of get to to engage in a little bit more of that real life skill thinking um, just because of how many different elements there are and, and again they're just kind of more interested in it. I don't know if you've seen anything like that and as you do these projects
2: yeah definitely and and uh, you know I'd say along with that you know that uh, learning to communicate with you know not only with with their teacher but with their classmates a lot of these projects involve you know they survey their classmates to get a sense of, um, you know, how their classmates feel about the issue as a data point. And sometimes they they engage with the larger community about these. Um, you know, one project that stood out for me is a couple years ago. Yeah, I guess illegal downloads of music is not really a thing anymore. Everybody streams stuff. But, you know, when I started this, that was still kind of a thing. And so I had a couple students who were musicians. They were really interested in this. So they surveyed their classmates. They said, you know, how many of you think it's wrong to download music? And 75% of kids said, no, absolutely. It's, it's wrong. It's stealing. And then the next question on the survey, it was an anonymous survey. Um, the next question was how many of you have illegally downloaded something in the last like two <laughs> weeks? Right. And about 75% of them said, yes, I have. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, they, they put this stat up on the on the screen during their presentation and this was a pretty powerful thing it's like you know here we've engaged our classmates and we've come up with some really meaningful you know data about our attitudes and it, not just sort of like academic attitudes you know in studies say such and such but this is you guys and that same group you know what, what was so neat about that is they you know they engaged their classmates but then they reached out to a broader audience so they had surveyed some of the family members and one of the guys that was doing the project had uh, you know it was one of those sort of six degrees of separation thing, but his cousin or something knew one of the guys in this band, My Chemical Romance. You know, it's a sure. big band, yeah. you know, yeah. so he wrote, he wrote him an email. He said, well, you know, we're doing this project on music downloads, so what do you think? Yes, it hurts your band, and the, the guy from the band wrote him back, and he said, you know, here's like, let's get down to brass tacks. Like, Here's how much we think we lose every single year because people download our music illegally, you know, and here's, you know, here's a sense of like what that would pay for and what we could do with that, you know, to, to share that with the class, all of a sudden it was like, this is not just some kind of project we're doing. This is a real life thing. People care about this. You know, here's an impassioned email from a guy you've seen on MTV and he's got feelings about it. So that that potential to to use technology to do these real life, you know, communication skills, real life community building and engagement. There's a lot of the other things in English don't necessarily provide those opportunities. You know, when you're talking about poetry and that sort of thing, it's kind of you know, it's you in the poem for the most part. And so this is such a, you know, for me, it's such a breath of fresh air. And I think for a lot of students, it gives them kind of a, a respite from from the other kinds of things that we do in English.
1: So let's quickly go over some of the, we said we were doing the top like seven, but I think we kind of ditched the numbers, but we did do uh the first one was take ownership of their learning. The second one was, it sparks interest, curiosity, and creativity. The third one, is it teaches students how to do research. We covered on all these. The fourth one, we kind of mentioned throughout the episode, but we haven't brought it out, you know, specifically, and that it teaches students to work through a a process. And this is super important because students need to be adaptable. They have to be able to go into a job interview, get a job, and adapt to a new process. And I think this uh, passion project kind of teaches them the fundamentals of most processes that they're going to meet, within the work field.
0: Well, that that in a lot of school is like, okay, I'm in this class and I'm doing this worksheet. It's very segmented. So the, the idea that a lot of the times projects are these larger, very large scale things. A lot of times in the real world, it lasts for, for years. Uh, so this is sort of more replicating that, and that a lot of things are a process where you kind of jump from stage to stage. Um, the last three reasons we came up with were Builds Community Ties. Andy, you just kind of mentioned that one. I mentioned earlier teaching life skills uh, using technology enhanced communication between peers and community members and then that idea of presentation such a huge part of many people's jobs and the seventh one we came up with which we didn't uh, bring up yet is giving the students a chance to show mastery in in an authentic way a more real life way rather than having them sit down and answer some multiple choice questions which of course is something that never really happens in the real world other than school or if you know if you have to take a test for some kind of a licensure or something so those were our top seven reasons to incorporate passion projects. Hopefully some people got some good ideas from that. And Andy, thank you for sharing some of your uh, ideas and experiences.
1: It's time for the Got Tech Hot Seat. It is time for another GotTech hot seat. We are going to put Andy Paul on this hot seat. And I'm telling you what, just by the, how red in the face he's getting right now, I know he's nervous because we're gonna throw seven questions at him. It's gonna be rapid fire. He's gonna have to shoot off the cuff. And then Nick gets to follow up with three questions that he thought was interesting of the responses that Andy gave. So does everyone understand this? Andy, how you feeling over there? I mean. Nervous, nervous, but but confident. All right, nervous, but confident. We like that. And this is now the point where we're going to throw some questions at you. So, is everyone ready? I'm ready. I'm pumped. I, this is one of yeah. my favorite segments. Oh, I know. Born ready. Here yeah. we go. Ready. All right. All right. Give me one of your favorite extensions. Readability. All right. Favorite EdTech resource. Edutopia. Favorite EdTech app. Google Docs. Oh, plain Jane. I like it. All right. Well, all right. Favorite podcast. Sleep with me didn't expect that one yes okay all right powerpoint or slides slides favorite audio recording program garage band which is better be careful here because you might get a chair thrown at you simon and garfunkel's sound of silence or the cover by uh disturbed original all the way i'm disappointed in you but that is going to end the hot seat right here uh wow so He int- threw some curveballs at us today.
0: Yeah, there's actually like four or five things I could and want to ask about, but I'll try and keep it to just three. Uh, the first one is the third question you asked, uh, about favorite edtech apps. Andy, you threw out uh, Google Docs, which we sort of gloss over a lot of times. We sort of are so used to it, just think about it as our sort of standard word processing app these days, but maybe you could elaborate on that and, and what makes Google Docs your choice for favorite app?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I know it probably comes off as pretty. Vanilla, um, but the thing is that um, you know we talked earlier about we want to use ed tech that enhances you know our lessons and you know if you think of it just as like a typing program then yeah I mean the students could just handwrite and you'd achieve the same thing but this idea of being able to collaborate on writing so you know we might I might have students writing different sections of a larger piece. They might write them simultaneously they might um, mark up a text a lot of the works that we cover in english are out of copyright so i could just copy and paste them in a doc and and send them out and students can can highlight them and comment and color code them really easily and and likewise you can do sort of this asynchronous collaboration so maybe one day a student writes one part another student jumps in a week later to add something in so you know i find that for for what we do in english which is so writing centric that the google docs is just it's got a lot of cool features under the hood that we don't maybe use on a daily basis, but for students can be really powerful.
1: I, I like this answer a lot. And I'm, I'm going to first say I'm still a little boiled about your last answer in that round, <laughs> and I hope Nick asks this question. If he doesn't, I might have to, and I don't get to ask the question. But the second thing is, is you kind of called Google Docs vanilla, All right. And when I think of vanilla, I'm thinking ice cream. And you guys are wondering where I'm going with this, but <laughs> Vanilla ice cream is my favorite ice cream, all right? And there's nothing wrong with that being my favorite ice cream because when you think of all the flavors, when you go to Baskin and Robbins and you get those 31 flavors... I'm telling you what, right now, most of those flavors have vanilla in it and it's dressed up with some type of a topping or some some type of a nut or a fudge or, or a strawberry flavor. So there's nothing wrong with vanilla, just like there's nothing wrong with Google Docs because you could dress up at Google Doc to make it look the way that you want, rant over.
0: I was really worried that, I didn't think you had a point with that whole ice cream uh, speech there, but you really tied it together nice. I'm proud of you, that was good. Just
1: giving you some props, that's all.
2: It sounds like a passion project. It, I, it does. I'm
1: telling you, I might i might do that i i feel like i could do a ted talk on vanilla ice cream all right so the next one this
0: doesn't count as one of my three just really quickly just because i don't know uh readability was your the extension you mentioned could you tell me what that is
2: yeah so readability is this extension that um it basically takes web pages and clears out a lot of the clutter so it's more like reading a book you know that's one thing that's really near and dear to my heart is the nice thing about reading a book is when you open it there's no ads You know, there's no um, there's no blinking stuff, and there's no um, there's no clicking to open another tab, and so readability helps us. You know, I ask students to read articles online the same way they might read a book with the same kind of intensity and, and and focus, but. There's all sorts of stuff distracting them they'd never have to deal with otherwise. So readability is really great for kind of making the internet more uh, palatable for for readers.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I gotta ask about your favorite podcast. You said it was called uh, "Sleep with Me," which is an intriguing title. Could you elaborate uh, what this podcast is all
1: about? Hold on one second. Before you do, I just want to let you know on apple itunes we always select that you know our 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 podcast is you know family friendly it's uh, not explicit you know those types of things so i just need to know before you start going in is this going to make us change our rating <laughs> uh, no this is not racy in
2: the least um <laughs> In fact, uh, so despite the title, um, the the purpose of the Sleep With Me podcast is it's basically um, it's this one guy and he tells these incredibly rambling, nonsensical stories. And what you do is you put the podcast on and the stories are so hard to follow that they put you to sleep and they help you go to sleep. So it's a sleep aid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but you know what? You, you, it's one of those things you think to yourself, well, look, I mean, anybody can tell a rambling story. This guy is really good at it. <laughs> I mean, you cannot, af- after minutes, you're like, what is happening? And he's got this soothing voice, and it's just, oh, sweet, dulcet tones just low you to sleep. It's wonderful.
0: That's actually important for, uh, like, teacher self-care, right? Getting a good night's sleep and sort of helping yourself out at home. That's Absolutely.
1: cool. So if I'm sleeping, and I typically get up every three, four hours, and then I have, you know, for one of the kids, and and then I have trouble falling back asleep, you think this is the go-to.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and plus you, you may you may learn some stuff. Uh, the stories are often recaps of Doctor Who episodes. Um, <laughs> okay. So I don't think you'd be able to actually recap an episode because it's such a rambling story, but you might know one thing about a TARDIS or something. Sure.
0: Alright, right. and then my last one, just because I know Guys is going to be all upset if we don't get to it, is you chose the uh, disturbed cover of Sound of Silence over the original. I don't care because I'm actually in agreement with you. I prefer the original myself. However, I do respect the, the singing prowess of the Disturbed guy. I can't re- think of his name off the top of my head. Could you elaborate on why you made that pick so guys can sleep tonight?
2: Well, I don't mean to come in here cause and and, and you know, start a controversy because you guys were very kind to bring me on and, and I'm very flattered to share some of my experience. But I have to roast Disturbed pretty hard here. Um, <laughs> you know, the guy is trying super hard to sing like just, he's like a opera singer or something like that. Um, and it just, I don't know. It feels, you know, the, the original feels so soulful to me and I think the disturbed cover is like i like the music i kind of like what they did with it but i feel like the singer is just he's just trying too hard for my taste and i, I don't mean to be a snob about uh, it
1: but uh, uh that's <laughs> me saying uh i'm telling you right now i'm telling you right now when i first heard the stir and i love simon and garfunkel i'm a big fan but when i first heard this cover i was like so pumped so worked up that i wanted to run through a wall i i don't know why but that that song, that cover of that song, moved me so much. I I needed I forget what I was doing. I think I it was right after I got back surgery, and all I was allowed to do was lay flat or stand up. I think I walked eight miles that day for the first time ever. You know, since my back surgery, I was so so pumped up because of that song. So I, I maybe because it has some type of a connection with me that is deeper than the music itself. But I I think if you maybe if you would not have known that the Was singing that. I think you might have appreciated it, maybe a little bit more. Nick, I don't care what your opinion is because we (laughs) never agree on anything. (laughs) Fair enough. Andy, I respect your decision, but I'm telling you, I'm going to go out for lunch right now, and I'm going to play this song. And I did download it legally. I just want everyone to know that. Okay, okay. I paid. I think it was a dollar twenty after tax for that song, and. I'm just ready to get pumped up for this afternoon. But uh, Andy, you are now officially off the Got Tech Hot Seat. How does that make you feel?
2: You know, it makes me feel good. I, I do have one asterisk to apply to my time on the hot seat. And I, I I want to apologize to Disturbed. I might be a little bit salty. I have a little bit of personal association with the song. So one of my passion projects is I played in a band before I was a teacher. And we had our own version of Sound of Silence. And we thought it was really good. OK. And so, yeah, I might be a little bit like Salty that Disturbed stole our thunder. <laughs> <laughs> stole our thunder is a generous <laughs> Right. What was it. the name of your band? Uh, we were called Canadian Invasion. None of us were Canadian, though. But That's fantastic. That's clever.
0: All right. That's all right. Cool. Well, all right. Well, Andy, thanks for coming in. Thanks for sitting on the Tech uh, hot seat. And thanks for sharing some information about your passion project. And hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Teched on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow guys and I individually at Geis Got and at Nick Got Teched on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.